Well, welcome again uh, to our uh, next sermon in our series of Saving Truth. Uh, we've been doing this series now for a while and um, for, for a few weeks now we're probably on, uh, I'm trying to think of what part we're on, um, we're probably on part eight I think it is now. Uh, two more to go I think it is, two more and then we'll be there but this is from Saving Truth uh, by Abdu Murray and so we're using this just to um, guide our way through but today's one uh, is called Religious Pluralism, um, a word that you need to practice by the way uh, when you want to say it online and live. Pluralism uh, is the word that you need to practice. But we're looking at John 14, <clears throat> uh, 5 to 14. That's what we're looking at today. Um, and I think when, when we look at this, what, I suppose the first question is, what, what is pluralism? What is religious pluralism? But pluralism in itself means the existence of different types of people uh, who have different beliefs and opinions within the same society. In today's society, it's become much more common for people uh, to pick personal preference uh, and experience in regard to how we can each experience God. Um, we find ways to express uh, who God is in our own personal way, I suppose, that we're, we don't really, uh, society has kind of lent itself to a, a kind of a fluffy God that exists somewhere. Um, and, and the God that many people claim or experience today can be very much a self-defined God, uh, one that works without having to change anything about our behaviour or lifestyle. Christianity calls us to, 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 to submit our lives to Jesus. It, it, it doesn't allow us, as it were, to stay there, because uh, not through any just sort of rigid ruling, but actually because God knows uh, he created us and we can be uh, what he wants us to be. We can... We can become these people who are uh, Christ-like and serving each other and, and ultimately to be with God in the kingdom of heaven. Um, and so today I want us to understand three things that I think will help us uh, to, to figure out what is this re religious pluralism. But the first thing I want us to do is to uh, engage in constructive conversations about world religions. And, and the, first, the first moment I say that, those words leave my lips, of course, the thing to say is, um, does that mean we accept all world religions? That's not what this is about. What we're doing is we're understanding people's positions. Uh, and we might even look at maybe a better word to use is, is worldviews, but certainly world religions. Uh, and we're just trying to look at how do we understand what, what people believe in order to take them to uh, this place of the Christian faith. And secondly, the fundamental differences between them and Christianity. And then thirdly, uh, of how believing that Jesus is the only way to God makes the Christian faith fundamentally unique. So let's look at our verses. Uh, it's in um, John 14 verses 5 to, 5 to 14. And for some reason, uh, I don't suddenly have uh, the verses, but that's fine. Um, so I'll read them out. So it's, it's John 14, 5 to 14. And it says this. It says, uh, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, Lord, show us the Father and, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, 
Uh, in verse 9, do, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak in my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, and at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified uh, in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. When we first look at these um, these verses, what we're what we're really trying to get to is is that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is he is uh, the only way to God. And um, what we want to do in this, in looking at this, is just trying to understand why why is it that people there are people that can't seem to get to grasp that, but instead look at maybe other paths and other routes to God. And um, we're going to try and look at some a little bit of some skills maybe to, to, to help us and equip us to speak and understand how do we listen uh, to other people. Um, but just to start us off really um, is uh, maybe that in your life uh, you've heard a statement uh, similar to this uh, that says this, um, Christianity may be the true path for you even if it isn't the true path for me. We don't need to say one view is right and the other is wrong. Uh, you, may, you may have heard a version of that or something like that. And, and, and on the surface, that statement, it sounds very tolerant. It, it, it sounds very agreeable. But when you dig a little deeper, what we find is that uh, world religions today are using this as a means to prevent any scrutiny of any truth uh, or any truth claims religions are making about themselves. In Christianity, uh, we, we're, I'm not excluding Christianity in this, uh, we can use these uh, these very um, lofty terms, these lofty statements to kind of say, well, we're all just going to get along. All, you know, everything all points to God and things like that. But at one time, we were able to debate uh, the truths and the merits of religious and non-religious worldviews. And to that, it seems that we're in the, the culture of confusion has created an illusion that we can pick up or pick any religious or non-religious worldview and that worldview should not be challenged or debated. Uh, that, that's a big generalisation, I understand, but we, we, we hear it, we see it on TV, we, we just see it generally that whatever I hold to be true uh, should not be challenged because that's offensive to me to even challenge. But I think it's because people who, who do challenge might be accused of infringing someone's rights, for instance. Uh, and it's also important to say that just because there might be flaws or issues with particular worldviews, uh, that we uh, that we disagree with, it should not be used to aggressively or forcefully use that to change someone's mind about their worldview. And this is something that we're we're kind of missing. I think we're 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 drifting away uh, from conversation, from being able to listen and hear what people's worldviews are, and we're trying to almost force um, that our worldview on someone else. And that is not restricted to Christianity. Um, it, it's not as obvious in, in other worldviews, but it, but it is happening and, and we tend to uh, have the, the uh, ability to listen. I want to listen for a short while and then I just want to force my worldview on that person. 
Uh, and there's a problem with that in that we're, if we're not listening, we're not hearing where people's uh, foundations are built on, people's very own truths are built on. We're constantly told that we live in a tolerant society. But over time, this, this word tolerant, I think, has lost somewhat of its original meaning. Because we live in a culture of confusion. The practice of being tolerant seems to include also not disagreeing with people. Being tolerant uh, says that we, we just don't challenge anyone. We don't even ask questions. We don't even explore. We, we say, that's your thing and this is my thing. That's your truth and this is my truth. And so we, we tend not to go there. We tend not to just have a conversation. But as our beliefs and identity uh, become more rooted in our personal experience, instead of objective truth, it would be inevitable that when we do disagree, that disagreement is perceived as a personal attack on what people have built to be fundamental to their very identity, their existence, and, and their very reason for living. This is why it isn't a simple case of, 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 of forcing, from a Christian point of view, scripture on people. It is about listening and then finding, taking that truth to people. Uh, Paul in Acts 17, um, when, he, when he was in Athens, he spoke to the philosophers and what he did, he did this amazing thing. If, I, I urge you to read um, Acts 17 as a kind of a method, a way to speak to people. Uh, what Paul did, he understood <clears throat> what, much of what the philosophers believed and what their outlook was, what their worldview was. Uh, and what he did, he even quoted in his sermons, in his, in his speaking to them, when, when he was speaking to them, he even quoted philosophers uh, in, in those very talks that he did. Um, but yet the truth, the content of what he was saying never changed. He, he tried to understand where they came from, what, what was their view built on, what, what did they build their whole life on. And then, and then instead of just kind of saying, well, that's wrong, this is right, he just brought truth into from, uh, from the Christian faith. And he, he, he brought what the truth of Jesus Christ into that. But what he did, he, he, he took time. He, he understood people's position, uh, that, that people are living lives. And, and what, what we, I think we need to understand as Christians is, you know, we're having an impact. When we speak about an alternative life, in effect, a new life, we're, we're, we're really... We're really the perception is is is, a, is taking or, or having a go at or even attacking that that very foundation that people built their whole lives on, and so it must be done carefully because if we just take that from under people, uh, either we get anger, we get aggression, uh, or, or we just get people who just don't want to know. We 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 burn people entirely, and so we need to be really careful how we do this. So I, I recommend Acts seventeen as a study for how this can be done. I haven't got it here because I, I can't really go into that right now. We haven't really got the time. Um, but as our uh, beliefs and identities become more rooted in personal experience, uh, we'll, we'll see this inevitable um, perceived attack that is personal to me. My experience is now my truth, uh, even though it's not objective truth. And, and so we need to be careful. But the definition of tolerance, and this is something we need to understand, what is the dictionary definition of tolerance? Well, it's actually this, showing willingness to allow the existence of opinions or behaviour that one does not necessarily agree with. 
when I look at, I just think, hold on, I just need to take a breath a second. Just imagine this, this the definition of showing willingness to allow the existence, existence of opinions or behaviour that one does not necessarily agree with. How are we finding this, this sense of tolerance, the true meaning of tolerance being displayed in our world today? It seems to be disappearing. If we look at the protests of, of lockdown, the protests of Brexit, the protests in the US, um, there seems to be a, it, it's not okay for you to disagree with me. We're on this side, this is the truth, and I'm not budging. We're not gonna talk about it, we're not gonna, and this is the issue we are, we are creating within our society. And so as Christians, um, we, we need to be people that are exploring people's uh, own understanding of what they believe to be true and then bring in what we believe will help them to understand the truth. It's not to be condescending, it's not to be patronising, but if we can understand people's real, real issues with society, issues with the world, issues in their own lives, I think we can, we can get past the sort of veneer of the things of the outward behaviors that are going on that we all kind of sometimes dip into, we sometimes lose ourselves in. And so I think what we've lost in this definition is to disagree. One of the core principles uh, that I think democratic Western cultures thrive on, and, and yet it, is, it is, seems to be diminishing to some degree. And what this has meant is that we no longer explore the most important questions in life, such as purpose and meaning, without becoming uncivilized and potentially uh, life-threatening. And now I need to be clear that some people uh, may hear this message uh, and might now be saying, yes, because this is what we do, isn't it? We get all a bit self-righteous, right? Saying, yep, yeah, that is so true. Why won't they just accept that they are wrong and I'm right? I have the truth and they don't. You see, what we're doing there, we're just doing the same thing over and over again. Uh, we're just stuck in this loop of saying, yeah, I found someone who agrees with me and they're saying that I'm right and they're wrong. That's not what this is about. We need to be very focused in how we do these things. We need to be very focused on how we evangelize, on how we speak to people about God. As I mentioned in Acts 17, uh, Paul's way of doing things was actually very surgical. It was very precise when he spoke to uh, the philosophers of the time. Uh, and that requires maturity, that requires a growing in the word, and we need to get back to that. We need to understand how uh, the Bible can teach us to do that. But whatever side uh, of the debate, or whatever debate we stand on, you stand on, I stand on, I think we've ended up causing not only damage to each other by having these entrenched views about our worldview, but also cause damage to the very fabric and principle of being able to openly explore questions of purpose and meaning whilst remaining civil. So Christians have a place in this to be able to look at the word that shows that we can bring truth, we can bring the content, but we can, we can come in a way that's relevant. After all, when we, when we look at the Christian faith, what we believe certainly as Christians uh, is that we come as we are. And yet there seems to be this, uh, this trend of that we fall into, maybe a trap we fall into, that we say that, well, I've come as I, I have to Jesus, but um, I'm, I can't let you do that. I, I, you need to be believing this thing and that thing first. You need to, 
you need to accept what I say and then you can become. And that's not how it works, right? If you've become a Christian, what you know is your journey is that you've come to God as you are. What you've done is you've admitted that, that you're not sufficient in yourself, that you cannot do these things, that we are, we are sinful. And so we come to God as we are, but we don't, as we often say, we don't stay as we are. We mature, we grow, we get into the word and we grow. And then what we can do, we can start to use that to really try and engage in conversation with people about their worldviews, religious pluralism or religious worldview, as it were. Religious rhetoric has become so heated, I think, that any scrutiny of, of whatever religion can, I think, immediately inflame each other's anger, even within the religions themselves. We've confused disagreeing with someone's belief, or fellow believers even, with disrespecting them. To challenge someone's understanding or view on a belief has become misunderstood to mean that we are denigrating the person themselves. We are putting them down. So from a Christian perspective, I think we must learn how to live in the true meaning of tolerance. A tolerance that works both, uh, that works both ways. I can disagree with you and you can disagree with me. Without it degrading or getting to the point of denigrating that person. And let me be clear again. This isn't about fudging the message of the gospel. This is about exactly how we see in the Bible that many followers of Jesus kept the truth of the message, but within their context that they were called into, they were able to relate to people still. They didn't get lofty. They didn't, they didn't lift themselves up above people and speak down to them. They come into the context and they shared the power and truth of Jesus Christ. So we must learn that true meaning of tolerance. There was an article uh, that I was reading uh, and it says when, when people confront us with objections uh, to our belief in God, we should do what we can to answer those objections. And that, that requires studies like this that we're doing here in apologetics. But we should also look for ways to demonstrate to them that the Christian worldview can provide answers that other worldviews struggle with. And it said what the article also talked about was how Jesus disagreed with the Sadducees in Matthew 22. Here's another great example. If we really look at this through the lens of how do we, how do we have the conversation with people? What they tried to do, they tried to trip Jesus up in regards to the resurrection by using an example of a woman whose husband died, then married uh, his brother, who also died, who then went on to marry all seven brothers who also died. And Jesus actually took this argument and reduced it to the absurd. There's actually a method that Jesus uses uh, when he does this, and it's to reduce the argument to the absurd. But he did it gracefully. And this method meant that the initial position the Sadducees took would be proven to be false. What was going on was the Sadducees tried to claim that Jesus believed in polygamy, and so by extension there must not be a resurrection. Matthew 22, and certainly this section, is them questioning the resurrection of the dead. So what does Jesus do? Jesus corrects their beliefs about the resurrection. He says this uh, in Matthew 22, verse 30. He says, the at the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. 
no marriage in heaven so the woman won't be married at all. Not only does he successfully show the absurdity of the argument, but in doing so, and again by extension, proves that there is a resurrection. The article when exploring this, it goes on to say, if there were no resurrection of the dead, then when God spoke to Moses, he would have said, I was the God of Abraham, I was the God of Isaac, I was the God of Jacob. And instead, God says, I am the God of Abraham, I am the God of Isaac, I am the God of Jacob. And so he really concludes, in order for him to still be their God, they must still be alive. And what we see in this is a particular method that Jesus employed often to not only disagree, but gracefully show how the Christian worldview can make sense of a confused culture and ultimately lead to truth. When it comes to religious pluralism, we need to show how the fundamental disagreements between these faith systems, not to diminish people themselves, but instead show the absurdity of claiming that all roads lead to God when they clearly do not. And even so, even to claim that all these religions lead to God is actually a disrespect to all world religions, to various belief systems. And so to even suggest they would actually lead to that all paths lead to God would be disrespectful to all these all these systems. Allowing for dignity and difference means we can have genuine tolerance and a more constructive journey to truth. It's exactly what Paul was doing. Let me give you some examples. Polyth polytheistic, polytheistic Hinduism teaches that there are millions of gods, each being incarnations of the of the Brahman. Uh, Islam claims that we are born morally innocent. Christianity claims that we sin because we are inherently sinful. Buddhism and Hinduism uh, is a cycle of karma and, re uh, and re reincarnation. Atheism claims that humanity is the measure of all things and that we have the sole and ultimate authority for morality and destiny because there's no God. Pantheism teaches that we are the measure of existence because God is is all there. Those are just a few of the differences. If we're to get to the truth, then we must be able to wrestle and disagree with respect. Otherwise, the false claim that all roads lead to God will never be challenged and therefore the truth will never be found. Uh, Ephesians 4 verse 29 says this, uh, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Every world religion claims to have the exclusivity on truth. Truth by its very definition is and should be exclusive. But if we're to win people to Christ, then we do, then we do have to do it in a way that shows respect without compromising on the truth. So how do we show respect but honour God in doing so? Jeremiah 9 verses 23 to 24 says this, this is what the Lord says, let not the wise boast of their wisdom or the strong boast of their strength or the rich boast of their riches, uh, but let the one who boasts, uh, sorry, let the one who boasts, boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for in these I delight, declares the Lord.
Whenever we speak about the Christian faith, our approach should be that we have an understanding that ultimately we can boast in nothing of ourselves, but everything that Christ did for us. All those differences of religions, of worldviews, of, of, of belief systems, all point back to man and only man. They always put God second. The uniqueness of Christianity is that it put God, puts God first. James 4 uh, verse 16 says this, As it is you boast in your arrogant schemes, all such boasting is evil. 2 Corinthians 11 verse 30 uh, says this, If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. Ephesians 2 verse 8 to 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God not by work, so that no one can boast. These aren't clever words to say or drop, or, or what we call today drop the mic moments where we can prove someone wrong. This is an attitude, a way of being, living, speaking. As a Christian, I'm to purposefully acknowledge that salvation was offered to me, even though I didn't deserve it and could not earn it. So our attitude is not we are right, you are wrong. It is that Jesus is right and we are wrong. That is humility that cannot be compared in other worldviews or religions. It is true that no other religion puts humans as completely undeserving and unworthy and what we offer to God being the equivalent of dirty rags. But when you're looking for objective truth, and offered multiple world religions and worldviews on how to live. When those worldviews and religions put man above, equal to, or able to earn God's favour, doesn't it strike you as odd that all the other worldviews prop up man and make him the centre of everything, as opposed to the Christian faith that puts man last and God first, that says you cannot earn your way to heaven, that says you're incapable of following the laws of God? If this is made up, what man made this up? What we're seeing is the, is the fundamental difference that man is not first, God is first. And yet the Christian faith is the only faith that offers redemption from sin of man through the one God-man, Jesus Christ. It is the only faith, it is the Christian faith that offers a sacrifice for all mankind's sin for all time, once and for all. The only one who was able to perfectly fulfill the law. Acts 4 verse 12 says this. Uh, Salvation is found in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Murray. Abdul Murray says this in his book here. Uh, that what we really, we get this from at the moment, what we're studying. He says this, he says, where other relig religious founders claim to have the way or to have the truth, Jesus claimed to be the way and the truth, vindicating that claim in an objective manner through his bodily resurrection from the dead. That's an amazing thing to to understand isn't it that christianity is the only faith that that proved what jesus said that the the, the man that came to uh, 
the God-man that came to give himself as a sacrifice for sin, who laid his life down, then followed it through and gave his life for all people so that they may come to God. So where atheism tells us that we are the measure of all things, the gospel tells us that God is the standard by which we are measured. Where, where pantheism tells us another word to practice, but it tells us that our problem is that we've forgotten that we are God. The gospel tells us that our problem is that we wanted to be God rather than commune with God. Islam tells us that we can earn God's forgiveness. The gospel tells us that such a view is a self-contradictory and only Jesus' payment for our sins solves that contradiction. The fact that nearly every other worldview seeks to make humanity the achiever of salvation or utopia suggests that they are human-made worldviews. But the gospel tells us that our self-glorification is the very thing that gets us into trouble. We need someone who is not us to save us from ourselves. Never believe the lie uh, that, that is being spread at the moment through through people claiming to be church, claiming to be the church of Christ and saying that we are somehow equal with Jesus, that we have the same ability, the same, um, the, 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 the same, we are the same creation as Jesus because he was man. He came in man form and so we somehow, this is, this is not true. Read the Bible, read what it says. It says in many occasions and in many different ways, John says, that Jesus is God. That, that should convict us to knowing that this is the only faith that really looks at outside of ourselves for a saviour. For someone to pay the price for our sin. Jesus is that someone. Jesus is the centrepiece, the way, the truth and the life. He is all free and offers them to us so that we don't need to forge them ourselves. The Christian message is that there's an exclusive way to get to, that there is an exclusive way to get to God. And that one way costs God more than it will ever cost us. But the invitation to accept it includes all of us. I'm going to leave you with John 3.16. We're going to pray and then we're going to worship one last time. It says here, John 3, 16, you will probably know this. Uh, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Oh Lord. Oh Lord. We ask for your Holy Spirit, Lord, to teach us how to engage in the conversation. To understand where people come from. To understand not only their uh, religious beliefs, as it were, their worldview, but also to get to know them, Lord. That we're not here to walk down the street knocking on doors, ticking boxes, uh, 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 meeting a number. We're here to have relationship because you have relationship with us, because you made it possible. And so, Lord, what we're called to do as Christians is to practice what we have been shown through Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, I ask through the Holy Spirit that you bring us a knowledge training 
conviction, whatever it is, Lord, so that we may have fruitful conversation. But Lord, not conversation that just placates, that makes me sound like a acceptable Christian, as the world might put it, but someone who is who can understand, who can listen, but Lord, also someone who is firm in their faith. And that firmness, that trust in Jesus is a beacon to those that are lost in the world of confusion, in the culture of confusion. And so Lord, teach us, train us, sharpen us, as you say, as iron sharpens iron, so that we may speak to those people, speak to all people, even amongst ourselves as a church, Lord, that we may build each other up in the faith, that we may listen and understand where people are stuck, where they need to understand and know more about God and know that they can come to him and that God welcomes all people who repent, who, who, have, who give up their way of life to self-glorify themselves and come to a knowledge of you. Oh Lord, we thank you that we have gone down this road and so Lord, you have taught us and continue to teach us that that can be used in sharing our experience of coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, may your Holy Spirit come and work within us powerfully, especially now, Lord, as people are struggling mentally with mental health, mental health issues, struggling with all sorts of thoughts and, and things that they feel imprisoned by. Lord, may they know that the word of God, the truth of Jesus Christ, can set them free. Lord, we thank you that you are indeed an awesome and powerful God, a loving God that wants all people to come to a knowledge of him. We thank you that you gave your one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Amen.